good news to be reminded of, of the deep love of our Father uh, and the fact that our ransom has been paid in full by Him and uh, so grateful for the new life we have in Christ. It comes by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And that's the, the title of our series now, is uh, New Life. It's three sermons from Colossians 3 for the new year. And this is the third of those three sermons. We started out last or two weeks ago in verses 1 through 11 to look at what does it look like if we have been saved by God's grace, we've been given new life through faith in Christ, what does it look like to grow up to maturity in Christ? So verses 1 to 11, the theme was new life in Christ. Big idea was this. If you have been raised to life in Christ, then set your mind on Him and stop living like you used to live. And so the focus was what you are to take off. What was the old you that you don't long, any longer need to be walking in? What do you put to death? And then last week, we zoomed in a little bit. Zooming in on what does it look like to have new life in the church? Because we're not just saved individually, we're saved into the body of Christ. And because of who we are now together in Christ, as the church, we live with one another in a different way. We live lives characterized by things like patience and kindness. We let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We teach and admonish one another, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in our hearts to God. And then, last week, verse 17, the last, passage, last verse of the passage last week was this. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Okay? That's really a transition between last week's passage and this week's. When we become Christians, what does that do? When we are given new life in Christ, what does that actually change for us? Does it just mean that when everybody else stays in bed on Sunday morning, we get up and go to church? Is that the only thing that changes, our Sunday morning schedule? Well, I think when we become Christians, hopefully our Sunday morning schedule does change, but that certainly shouldn't be the only thing that changes. In fact, this new life that we have in Christ should start to change the way we do relationships with everybody in our life. And for most of us, where do we spend the most time? Now, kids, you spend a lot of time at school. Right now, school is kind of like your job, okay? Some of you, you work out of your home. And so your workplace is your home. But here's what we're looking at today. We're looking at the way that new life in Christ affects where we spend most of our time and the relationships with the people we have there. Our new life in Christ will affect our relationships at home and at work. And so in the last section of Colossians 3, Paul starts talking about what does new life in Christ look like within the household. And so he's going to talk about three different sets of people. He's going to talk about wives and husbands. He's going to talk about children and fathers. And then he's going to address bond servants and masters. So these are all people that would be part of a normal household. Somebody serving as a bond servant, or some translations even say slave. We'll talk about that in a bit. And masters. 
In all of these people, there have been husbands and wives and children and fathers and bondservants and masters who have now heard the gospel and come to faith in Christ. How are they now in Christ supposed to live with one another in their homes? And in our case, the application would also be at work. So, a lot of challenging stuff in the commands that follow. And if you have a Bible with you, you can open up to Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. New life in the home and at work. If you're able to, would you stand as we read God's Word together. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I'm just thankful that uh, the people that are here came out this morning. Uh, it would have been an easy morning to uh, stay home, and it was challenging to get out. Some people didn't get to park in a garage, and so they had a lot of work just to get their vehicle out and then to drive slowly and, and make some changes uh, in our driving habits in order to get here. I just thank you for the willingness of those who have come to gather. And I pray uh, that you would be at work by your spirit now. It's easy, especially on a day like this, to be distracted by many things. We're thinking about a meal we're going to eat together later or a meeting we're going to have together later or a football game on later or whatever else, more work that we're going to do this week or all sorts of things that our minds can wander to. But I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in, a, in such a way now that our minds are focused, that we might hear what your word has to say, and then it might change the way that we live. Thank you that you have the power to do that. We pray that you will in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18, God says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Amen. You can be seated. Before we dive right in, I, I have a couple of important points to make that I think will help us to better understand this passage. In both of the passages previously, we noted that there were plenty of commands, but also some conditions to go with those commands. I want us to note, and you maybe heard it as I read through this, that there are a lot of commands in this passage to six different categories of people, and some people fit into more than one of those categories, right? Some people are both husbands and fathers. So lots of commands to six different categories of people here. But one thing we ought not to miss is this repeated phrase. This idea of all these things happening in some way in the Lord. Lord shows up seven times in these verses. Well, actually six times and one time master 
shows up. Referring to Jesus. Remember that Paul is writing to people who have put their faith in Jesus and now have new life in Christ. Their ultimate and first submission, their first priority is living for Jesus, submitting to Jesus, acknowledging that Jesus alone is Lord. He's the one that all of these people are now living under. He has made everything. Everything is made by Him and for Him. And so in the Lord is an important phrase. All of the commands in today's passage are to be obeyed under the Lordship of Christ. And part of the way that God has created all things is He has created things with order. And so we're going to see that, that order is a good gift from God and things work best when we live within the order that God has created and ordained. So we're going to see that, all of this under the Lordship of Jesus. Okay? So, so I don't want you to hear this as like, oh, this is Jeremy's opinion or this is what Paul had to say to those people at that time and it doesn't matter for us. This is all under the Lordship of Jesus. Important note number two is this. Important note number two, this is one of those passages that historically people have quickly written off. Because they've said, well, Paul was writing to certain people at a certain time in a certain culture. And their cultural context is way different. And culture has changed over time. And so those commands were for those people then, but they're not for us now. Okay? Quick note that I think will help us to understand the rest of this. You're right in part if you're thinking that. Paul is writing two people in a cultural context that's different than our own. Colossae in the first century A.D. is different than the United States of America in the 21st century A.D. Okay? Very different from each other in a lot of ways. So Paul is initially addressing those people in that culture at that time then. But we also need to keep in mind that Paul is communicating with people, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to communicate with people who have, even though they've been given new life in Christ, still live with a corrupt human heart that's prone to sin. And many times the reason we have commands given to us in Scripture is because not just our culture's messed up and we're a part of it, it's because our hearts are messed up. And that's inside of us. And so, these are commands, yes, given to a particular people at a particular time in a particular place, but they're also given to people who have corrupted human hearts like we do. So here's what I'm going to do as we go through all of these, just so you kind of know where we're headed. We're going to talk with each of these commands, why for them then, in their culture, with their corrupted nature, why they needed to hear this command to live in a new way now that they have new life in Christ, okay? So we're going to look at that. And then we're going to move and look at why we today, in our culture, which is different than their culture, why do we need to hear this command? Because we too have a corrupted nature, and we too, through faith in Jesus, have been given new life in Christ. So so that's how we're going to walk through this today. That's maybe just, and you'll see it more as we walk through, but I just wanted to get that out of the way and share that at the beginning. So, he begins by talking about how things work in the home. 
verse 18 and 19 address the first set of people that he's addressing, and that is wives and husbands. So let's take a look at this. Wives first and then husbands because that's the order that Paul goes in. Okay? He begins by addressing wives. So here comes a command, but the command is to not everybody everywhere, but the command is to wives. And what is the command? The command is submit. That's the verb there, submit. What does submit mean? It means voluntarily putting yourself under one's authority. Okay? Submitting is voluntarily putting yourself under one's authority. Not forcibly, but voluntarily putting yourself under one's authority. Now, wives are commanded to submit, to voluntarily put themselves under the authority, not of every man everywhere. Okay? This is not every woman submitting to every man everywhere. That's not what this says. This is a more specific command. Wives submit to whom? Your husbands. Not some other guy's husband. Not any guy, but wives submit to your husbands. And then there's a condition that goes along with it. It's this. As is fitting in the Lord. Remember I told you that that Lord thing is going to be very important here. Because the first priority of a wife who has been given new life in Christ, her first priority is to submit herself to the Lord Jesus. Her first priority is to submit herself to the Lord Jesus. That means if her husband would have her to do something contrary to what the Lord Jesus would have her do, she obeys and submits first and foremost to Jesus and not her husband. So there's a qualifier or a condition that comes with that command. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Then he addresses husbands. Husbands, there's the audience, the command. Actually, there's no condition or qualifier for the men. There's just two commands. The two commands are these. Love your wives. This is the command for the men. Love your wives. In Ephesians 5, Paul also has one of these household code things that he writes. And there he adds to this. Love your wives, husbands, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The way husbands are to live with their wives is in such a way that they give of themselves for the good of their wife. They make sacrifices, sacrificing their own time, their own preferences, in order to love their wives. It's what Paul is calling them to. I'm going to talk about how this is very countercultural for them here in a moment. Husbands, love your wives. And then a second command to husbands. And do not be harsh with them. Do not be harsh with them. Again, very countercultural. I'll talk about that in a moment. But Paul is seeking to make it clear. If you, husband, have been given new life in Christ, there is no room for abusive words or actions, not even harsh ones, toward your wife. Not becoming bitter. Not always looking to find fault. Not using words in order to sting a little bit. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. These commands 
to wives and then to husbands, these would have been very countercultural in that day. So was Colossae different than the United States of America? Yes. What was it like there? Here's what it was like there then. Wives were expected to live in complete subjection and obedience to their husbands. Paul is saying something different to them. Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord is different than living in complete subjection and obedience. Husbands, the the norm in that culture was this. Husbands ruling over their wives with license to behave as they pleased. To enforce their wife's obedience. To let their wives know that they were the ones who ruled over them. This is what it was like in their culture. And Paul was telling them, because of who you are now in Christ, you live in a totally different way. We don't do it like everybody else does it anymore. We don't live like that wives or husbands. What's our culture like? Our culture, excuse me, our culture is not entirely like the, the culture in Colossae. In our culture here and now, there's, there's kind of a newer thing, kind of a blurring of genders. It's part of the kind of LGBTQ agenda is this kind of blurring of genders. Uh, kind of like a, it's more like a, a choice and it's something that's a little more fluid. And so this kind of, this kind of commands, they, just like they would have been like, huh? To people in that day, they're a little bit like, huh? To people in our day. Wives, submit to your husbands? Husbands, love your wives, don't be... This, this sounds odd in that day, and it sounds odd in our day as well. In a day like our day, in our culture, a flattening of authority and role distinction. That's what's happening in our day. And so you can see how these commands were countercultural both then, there, and here, now. But here's the other reason these commands are there, because they're also counter-natural. Okay? Naturally, these are not things that we will do. It's not a new thing. There's a quite pretty long history of wives desiring to rule over their husbands. It's as old as the Garden of Eden. There's a pretty long history of husbands being harsh and abusive toward wives. This has been going on generation after generation, and that's also a reason why Paul needs to tell those who have new life in Christ, you don't live like that anymore. This maybe is how you used to live. This is how a lot of people live. But in Christ, this is no longer how we live. What happens now? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Here's what it looks like in our new life in Christ. It looks like wives joyfully submitting to Jesus first and then their husbands. It looks like husbands joyfully submitting to Jesus first and then sacrificially loving their wives like Christ loved the church. There's not going to be a lot of examples of what this looks like in our culture But there are, thankfully, a number of beautiful examples of what this looks like within our own church. This was rare in the church. This was rare in Colossae. This is rare in America. Part of the way that we stand out as people who've been made new in Christ is we live in a different way in our marital relationship, a radically different way. You're going to have a chance to talk about this more in your life groups. This week, And I hope you're in a life group because that's one way that you get to know, oh, 
this is what it's supposed to look like. We don't have any perfect examples in our church, but we have some pretty beautiful examples of what this is to look like. The next set of people that are addressed here in verses 20 and 21 are children and fathers. Children and fathers. He begins with kids. Now, not often kids. You're here. You're a kid, right? Children. Uh, Not often in Scripture are you addressed directly. Most of the time in Scripture, have you noticed that? That they're writing and talking to adults. And kids are supposed to listen. But now, Scripture is actually talking to you kids. And listen to what it says. There's one command for you kids. And the command is this. Obey your parents in everything. Kids, do you know what it means to obey your parents? That means when they say to do something, you do it. And what obeying them in everything means is not kind of like obeying when you want to. Because sometimes your mom and dad have you do something that you don't really want to do. You want to keep doing whatever you're doing, not doing what they're saying to do. And you know what your mom and dad shouldn't have to do? They shouldn't have to count to three or give you warnings or that kind of stuff. They should be able to just tell you, hey, you need to do this right now. And you should do it. Why? Well, sometimes we think, well, I should do it because if I don't obey, then I'm not going to get dessert. Or I should do it, I'm not, because if I don't obey, they're going to take away my phone or my screen time or something like But that's not really the best reason to obey your parents and everything. You know why it's best to obey our parents and everything? You know why we do that, kids? We do that because, here's what it says, for this pleases the Lord. If you kids have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you trust in Jesus, You're like a new person. And instead of you always doing what makes you happy, you know what you want to do in your life now? You don't always want to. But what you want more and more is you want to make Jesus happy. And you know what makes Jesus happy? When you obey your parents. That's what it says right there. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. It's pleasing to Him. So that's ultimately the reason why we do it. That's our motivation. And then, there's Paul addressing fathers. What does he say to fathers? The command to fathers is this. Do not provoke your children. What does that mean? Dad, have you done this this week? Have you provoked your children? What does that even mean? Well, provoking might mean, your, your translation might say exasperate. By by the kinds of demands you have made of your kids, have you exasperated them? By the expectations that you put in front of them? By your lack of listening to them and really seeming to care about them and what they're saying? Have you exasperated your kids? Have you provoked them? Have you stirred them up? Have you pushed their buttons? Have you gotten their goat? Have you gotten under their skin? As your kids get older, and as we have rough days, dads, we find ways to do this. And it's easy for us as dads, without even really thinking about it, to humiliate our kids. 
to nag at our kids, to lose our cool with our kids, to sting our kids with words or worse. It's easy to make our kids feel like they're a disappointment to us. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Dads, you've seen that look, and I, I can think of it. You've seen that look on your kids' faces, haven't you? Their heads go down, their shoulders slump. You just won, Dad. Congratulations. Sometimes it, sometimes their head goes down because there's real guilt over real sin, and sometimes they've been made to feel ashamed because their dad said something so their dad could win. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Again, as those reading Paul's letter would hear this, this would sound countercultural. Because there then, here's what it here's what it looked like often. Fathers beat your kids into subjection. That's what it would look like. <laughs> and here and now it looks sometimes that's the case. Fathers still doing that. But in our culture, it's more likely that this is happening. Kids are taught to disobey authority from a young age. Like, oh, I don't teach my kids to disobey. Well, maybe we are. As we as parents make excuses for kids, as we as parents talk down about authority in our kids' lives, as we as parents quick run take the side of our kids and stand up against those who have said something that maybe we don't like, Parents failing to enforce obedience. Here in our culture, we see dads pushing kids to live out the dad's dreams. This provokes children. Fathers are commanded not to do that. In our culture, we see dads abusing kids. We see dads neglecting kids. We see dads deserting kids. We see dads demeaning kids. This is common in our culture. And so it's countercultural for us to hear these commands. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. It's countercultural and it's counternatural. Right? This is nothing new. It's not like, oh man, kids in Colossae disobeyed their parents? I can't believe it. This has happened in every generation. Kids disobey their parents quite naturally. Dads of every generation have provoked their kids. This comes about quite naturally. But again, good news. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you've been given new life in Christ. We don't have to live that way anymore. Kids, you don't have to keep... I know a lot of your friends in school, the way they talk about their parents, it's ugly. And the way they respond to their parents, that's ugly too. And dads, you don't have to do it the way your dad did it. Right? This is natural, but it's not the only way to live. Now in Christ, we can live a different way. Kids, you can start to see that authority that God put your mom and dad in your life. They're not perfect. And the older you get, the more you'll find that out. They're not perfect. But God put them in your life for your good. They're a good gift from God to you. Did you let them know that lately? Are you thankful for them 
in Jesus, you can do that. And dads, you can listen to your kids and encourage your kids. You can let your kids know that you and they are both sinners who are in need of a Savior. You know how powerful that is, Dad? Not when you're the dad who makes sure that your kids know that you're in charge all the time. They'll know of your authority by often the way that you love them and care for them. And yes, you expect obedience from them. But it is wise for us to, as dads, understand that we're sinners in need of a Savior, and so are our kids. And our greatest desire is not for them to... Uh, not for us to demand obedience from them in every way, but for us to be brothers in Christ or brother and sister in Christ with our kids, that they together with us would recognize, oh man, you guys know your dad needs Jesus? I messed up again, I'm sorry. And there is one more set. This is two out of the three, and there's one more set that we will look at here because there's one more set that Paul looks at. It actually goes through chapter 4, verse 1. I said this is three sermons from Colossians 3. Paul didn't write the chapter in verse numbers, and whoever did that later on included chapter 4. Put a chapter break at chapter 4, 1, but it's all part of the same section. So let's look at Colossians 3, 28 through 4, 1, or 22, excuse me. Let me just point out this really quick. I want to point out that, that this here in this last section of Colossians 3 is not the Bible's endorsement of slavery. Has it been used for that purpose in the past? Yes. Have people who have been bent on taking advantage of other human beings, believing that they could own them and abuse them and use them as though they were tools, can they turn to passages like this in the Bible to, to condone their own behavior? Yes. Just like husbands have used passages like this in the Bible to condone their own abuse of their wives and their children. This has been used in that way in the past. What is Paul doing here, though? Paul is writing to people in households. These are called household codes. These were common in writing outside of Scripture as well. Paul is talking to people within a household, and it was common in households in that day for people to be living in a house that weren't part of the nuclear family. People that were bond servants, or sometimes translated, slaves. So Paul is just addressing the reality of what houses looked like at that time. Paul was not intending to bring about great societal change through writing a letter to the church at Colossae. He's writing a letter to people who are new to faith in Christ. And they're trying to figure out, with all the different roles that they have, what does new life in Christ look like in all these different relationships? Now how am I supposed to live as a wife, as a husband, as a child, as a dad? How am I supposed to live here now as a bondservant, as a master? Because here's the thing. Some of the bondservants heard the gospel, believed it, and came to faith in Christ. And some of the masters heard the gospel, believed it, and came to faith in Christ. Are they to continue to living in the way that they used to live with one another? No. Their new life in Christ radically changes the way they live with one another. How, then? How are masters to live out their new life in Christ? How are bondservants to live out their new life in Christ? That's what we're going to see here 
in these verses. So, verse 22. He begins by addressing the bondservants. Bondservants, he says, here's the first command. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Okay, so, so there is in the household a structure of authority. There are masters and there are bondservants. And the command of the bondservants is, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. This wouldn't have been very uncommon of a command in that time. But what follows is more uncommon. He says this, Not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Not just when they're looking to make them happy, but how? But with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Again, remembering that, that the bondservant who's got new life in Christ now, their ultimate allegiance and their first priority is not to their master, but it's to Jesus. And their allegiance to Jesus changes the way that they do their work. They do it with sincerity of heart, not by way of eye service, not as people pleasers, but fearing the Lord above all else. And then the second command is this, verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Work heartily. Do hard work. Whatever you do, that's the extent. Okay. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Why? Because it's from Him that you'll receive your reward. It's Him that will repay. If you're being treated unfairly, don't think it's going to go without consequence. God will take care. For the wrong, has, for the wrong He has done, the wrongdoer will be paid back. Okay? It's not your job to seek vengeance. So Paul wasn't here writing, uh, calling for a rebellion of bondservants to overturn the societal structure of the time. The Colossian Christians were a tiny minority group within a much bigger culture, and Paul's just trying to help them understand how do you grow up to maturity in Christ in the relationships of your practical everyday life. That's what he's trying to do here. Even what Paul is trying to do, though, is extremely countercultural. It's also countercultural when he talks to the masters. Verse chapter four, verse one: Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly. Yet this was not the way they normally did things. But you don't do things the normal way anymore because now you have new life in Christ. So masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Why? Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. See, again, it's all related to their new relationship to God through Christ. Jesus is your master now. So don't be a master like you used to be a master. You take your position of authority in the home and you use it to treat other people justly and fairly. You're a boss now? Great. But now you're a boss in a different way than you used to be a boss because you were in Christ. So, again, this is all countercultural. Because then, bond servants were treated as property or tools. And masters felt justified in treating bond servants unjustly. That's the way the culture was. So what Paul is saying to Christians in that culture sounds very different from the way other people lived in these relationships all around them. And it's also counter-natural for them. It's more natural to seek vengeance. You're being treated unjustly, then you seek vengeance. It's more natural, if you're the master, you're in a position of authority, and people listen to you and do what you say, it's very natural to 
use that to your advantage. Well, these people are under my authority. I get to determine what what they're going to do and say to some degree. Well, I'm going to do things for my own advantage. That's a very natural way to respond. Now, we don't have, thankfully, this corrupt system anymore. But we do have a system of authority in the workplace, right? And so we're going to make some application to that here in a moment. New life in Christ, of course. Bond servants now become hardworking, hopeful workers. Masters become fair and just. But let's talk about our work relationships. If we're to take these principles in this relationship, in this system at this time, and apply them to the most close parallel, which for us is work. What's the reality? Most of us that have have some work outside of the home would have some kind of work in which we have someone in authority over us. You who work, you have someone in authority over you. And some of you also have some people who are under your authority. Some people have both. Like you're in a a work structure where there's some people that are your bosses and some people who look at you as a boss, right? So, So all of these things I think will be helpful and applicable to us. Here's the basic commands here. The basic commands are this. Obey your boss, work hard, and be just and fair. Isn't that what we see here at the end of Colossians 3? Obey your boss, work hard, be just and fair. This is countercultural. Because here in our culture today, we are becoming increasingly anti-authority. Okay? This is one thing that's happening over time, is that more and more young people have been trained to kind of stand up against authority. We're becoming increasingly anti-authority, and we're becoming increasingly lazy overall. And so, it's good for us to hear these commands in our culture, right? For you to be told, as an employee, you should obey what your boss says to do. Again, the qualifier would be kind of like the, like the one to the wife, as is fitting in the Lord. If he's calling you to do something contrary, because your first and, and, and primary allegiance and priority is your submitting to Jesus. If your boss is calling you to do something that you know would, would not honor Jesus, you don't do that. But if he's just calling you to do something that you just don't feel like doing, do it anyway. Right? Your boss ought to know you, know us as Christians. That, that there's all sorts of people in your workplace. And your boss might be wondering, and probably does if they're a boss, who can I depend on? Who's trustworthy? Who's going to work hard and get the job done, even if it's not a fun job? Christians. That should be us. That we should be the people at work that aren't always adding to the workplace drama, who aren't complaining about our boss with everybody else. But we're the people who honor and respect those in authority over us and say, if that's what I'm called to do, I'm going to do it. Even if I don't, you know what that's going to mean, Christian? That's going to mean you're going to get all the junky jobs that nobody else wants. Great. Do it. This is one of the ways that we live out new life in Christ. The passage that Pastor Stan had us read read together, counting others more significant than ourselves. Right? 
Jesus, though he was in, in, by nature God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but lowered himself. We, we submit. This is what we do. We think of submission as this bad word, like, oh, wives, submit to your husbands. That's so archaic. Jesus submitted to the Father. Jesus equally God, yet submitting to the Father. The Holy Spirit called a helper, right? This is countercultural to obey your boss. It's countercultural to work hard. And if you're the boss, it's countercultural to be just and fair. In our dog, think of this. Those of you that have a position of authority, if I went and interviewed those who are under your authority this week and asked them, do you think that so-and-so, this member of, of our church, claims to be a Christian, follows Jesus, can you see that in the way that they are your boss? Do they treat you justly and fairly? Are they kind and generous toward you? Do they seem to care about you as a person? Or do they use you as though you're property and tool? What would they say? You see, you see how all of this stuff comes in and affects these relationships that we work with day in and day out? Wives and husbands, children and fathers, employer-employee. You see how our new life in Christ is to shape everything? Here's what I'm thinking. What I'm thinking is that these commands are hard to obey. Naturally, we're people pleasers, prone to passivity and laziness and making excuses. We're prone to take advantage of our position of authority, even if it's not best for others. This is what we're like. It's hard to obey these commands, but we can do it in Christ. In Christ, we obey our boss and we work hard. Here's just a question. No, I'm not trying to be complicated. This is very simple. Are you doing this? You who are under some, you who work for somebody, are you obeying your boss or are you complaining about your boss and trying to get out of stuff? Are you working hard or are you finding ways to cut corners? Don't be that guy. Don't be that lady. That's not who we are in Christ. There might be some changes that need to be made this week. You might need to confess some things. So we do in Christ. We don't act like we have it all together. We're not afraid to go to somebody and say, you know what, I've been doing this, and that's wrong. I'm sorry. And if you're in authority over somebody, are you treating people justly and fairly? There might be some changes you need to make this week. There might be some confessions that you need to make this week. This is what we do because we've been given new life in Christ. Because we belong to our master Jesus, because we have a boss, we are bosses differently. So, conclusion. So what? So what? Easiest thing to do is this. Man, that was hard stuff. I'm not doing very good. And you leave church today beating yourself up. That's an easy thing to do. Or, or here's, here's what, here's what uh, another common response would be. Pat yourself on the back. Man, I'm doing that stuff well. And your first thought is how some other people needed to hear this message today. Right? That's a pretty easy thing to do. Oh, man, I wish my boss would have been here today. I wish my wife or my husband would listen to this. 
I wish my kids would listen to this message. You're going to go home. The parents are like, hey, didn't you hear what the pastor said today? You can say that to yourself, too. Did you hear what the pastor said today? More importantly, did you hear what God's word said today? Are there some things that we need to deal with? Here's the harder thing to do. Here's what we ought to do. We need to acknowledge our sin, confessing to God and others. There's ways that we have failed as wives, husbands, children, fathers, employers, employees. We've failed. We need to acknowledge that. This is important. These are the, these, this is the realm within where, where we work out this new life in Christ. We've sinned. We need to confess that to God and others. We need to ask God, God, what needs my attention? Maybe before you get together with your life group, you do some dealing with this on your own. What step do I need to take this week? Is there somebody, some action I need to change, somebody I need to apologize to? What is it that needs to be done this week? Praise God that we have a God who is so merciful, so loving. A Father who does not provoke us that we might be discouraged, but a Father who loves us even though a lot of times we don't really deserve it. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for clear commands in it. And uh, I just confess that there are There are things that I need to be aware of. There are things that I need to work on. Thank you that because you've given new life in Christ, that we have hope, that your Holy Spirit dwells in us so that we can obey your commands. Your commands are hard to obey. We haven't always obeyed them. And God, most of all, I thank you for the precious blood of Jesus, that for all of us who trust in him, we can live with confidence that that all of our sins are washed away. And so, God, I thank you that there is redemption. There is new life. There is for people like us who have messed up and not just messed up once, that we have the sure hope of new life in Christ because of his redemption, because of what he's accomplished for us. And so I pray that you'd help us to behold him, to get our eyes fixed on him, even as we sing a closing song together now. In Jesus' name. Amen.